This week on A Lively Experiment, the governor delivers his third State of the State address, and he's asking everyone to get on Team Rhode Island. And the House Minority Leader offers a different perspective we'll hear from him. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... Hi, I'm John Hazenwhite, Jr. For over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on the panel, URI political science professor Emily Lynch, Billy Hunt, chairman of the Libertarian Party of Rhode Island, and political contributor Jim Vincent. Hello and welcome to Lively. I'm Jim Hummel. Governor McKee painted a rosy picture of life in Rhode Island on Tuesday night, saying the state is strong and has made investments in key areas during his three years as governor. He followed that up with the release of on Thursday of a $13.7 billion proposed budget for next year that will also ask voters to approve hundreds of millions of dollars of borrowing in the form of bond issues. We'll get to that a little bit later, but first, some excerpts from the governor's 45-minute address to a joint session of the legislature this week. Good teams are built when talented individuals do their best. But the best teams, the very best teams, are built when talented individuals use their skills to help others do their very best. When I became governor, I believed that Rhode Island could do better, be better than just a good team. We're serious about improving RICAS scores and closing the gap between Rhode Island and Massachusetts by 2030. Rhode Island began to move the needle this year and, want to, and we want to ensure that progress will continue. That's why my budget will propose $15 million for math and English language arts coaching for stu students and professional development for teachers to help us meet the goal ahead of us. Let's get this done for our students. Team Rhode Island will continue using our skills to make our state one of the very best in the nation. Never underestimate the power of a team that has each other's backs. The state of the state is strong. Kind of makes you, uh, Emily, let's start with you. It kind of makes you want to like suit up and get out there on the court. That's right. You've watched a lot, a lot of these state of the states address. Just we'll get into some specifics. Your overall impressions? Overall impression is that he set the agenda, and that's the purpose of something like a state of the state or state of the union address, right? So for the leader to say what his priorities are of housing, um, increasing income, education, he's also claiming credit for um, lowering taxes along with the General Assembly. Um, he's talking about how attendance has increased. So, um, and uh, he's talking about overall how uh, this is a great state to raise a family. He's also presenting himself with this theme of being the, the team captain, right, where he can uh, create this team or work with others um, that I think will end up being this theme for 2026 um, and continuing on with how he can lead a team to improve Rhode Island. You mean ultimately when he gets to re-election? 
Exactly. Exactly. Right. Billy, what do you think? I, I mean, it was a, a good presentation. He definitely has a, a positive outlook for the state, and he's uh, trying to paint a rosy picture for what the future is. Uh, but for a governor who won uh, his election with, uh, you know, 60 percent of the vote, you would expect him to have a more uh, dynamic and more uh, serious goals that he's trying to focus on to uh, get accomplished over the, the, the course of his uh, of his governorship. You know, his bold his bold plan last time was a 0.15 percent reduction in the sales tax. Uh, that was not mentioned in this year's uh, State of the State Address. And there was no real substantive big change or big plan that was put in place uh, that he's pushing through. He seems to just be going with the flow. In fact, a lot of the uh, the issues that he championed and he talked about and that got the biggest applause uh, of the night literally fell into his lap. And in the case of the independent man, almost literally <laughs> fell into his lap. So um, I, I think there uh, is a lot of uh, the need of more planning and a more leadership on his end to kind of set the agenda and not just go with the flow of what the General Assembly is saying. Well, I like the speech. I thought it was very optimistic. I like this what's analogy type uh, uh, things that he was doing in the speech. And, and there's several quick hitters I have here that I thought were particularly good. Uh, one, I thought that the $100 million bond for housing it was great because we are, we are in a housing crisis. So any kind of money that's going to be spent on housing I think is important. Education, $36 million for English language learners, $6.9 million for pre-K expansion, great. $15 million for English and math coaching. All of that uh, needs to be done in education because if we're going to match Massachusetts, we need to really double down on, on dollars going into education. Also job creation. I like the $135 million bonds for URI and, uh, and RIC. I like the life science lab idea that's going to be run by uh, uh, my friend Neil Steinberg. And I like the idea of cybersecurity building at RIC uh, with uh, Jim Langerman because we've got to create jobs of the future if we're going to have people uh, working and being gainfully employed and, and jobs that are going to make a difference. Uh, even retirees, at some point, even I will retire. <laughs> I like the fact that they moved the exemption from 20000 to 50000 It might not be a lot of money to some people, but $500 a year, I'll take it. You know, also early uh, uh, the in, 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 uh, intervention, uh, the kids that are, you know, uh, on waiting lists uh, that have developmental disabilities. We need there's going to be four million dollars. We need to spend more money on that. We shouldn't have any kids with development disabilities on that wait. List yeah, our own Steph that. Machado, of course, with the Globe, and, and uh, she's on this panel and, and uh, does pieces for Rhode Island PBS Weekly. That story was here, right. and it was really. I mean, it was really sobering about how long people have to wait for those services. Let me get back to affordable housing everybody's been talking about. $250 million uh, accounted for. A lot of that hasn't gone out the door. I wonder what the appetite's going to be for another bond. If you get to the bond, the bonds usually pass. But I wonder what the appetite's going to be in the Senate. They want to see some of the results. Are we going to put $100 million on top of the 250 I wonder how that discussion's going to go. Right. I think that you, your point is valid in how we are going to look at how the General Assembly as a whole, how are they going to react to it? And I think the leaders have been a bit, a bit hesitant to you know, be on board with more housing um, funds because they're, they're waiting to see what's being done with the, the, the housing funding that's currently in place. What about that? Housing takes time. Uh, I worked in Rhode Island Housing for 14 years. It's not exactly something you do overnight. Uh, and there's different phases of, of, of housing that must be met. There's different types of housing, affordable housing versus other kinds of housing. So um, I'm, 
I'm thinking that, you know, once the, that the process is communicated well to the General Assembly, they have a full understanding of how long it takes to do certain kinds of things, then I think we're going to be okay. And I think that those housing investments are going to be uh, made. Yeah, the, the housing takes time, but I mean, even from the time that the governor has been in office, uh, you haven't seen a significant increase in any type of housing, whether it be our general housing stock, which has been basically flat for the last few years, uh, our affordable housing, you know, we're adding, what, you know, four or 500 units a year, only 50 of them are, are typically owner-occupied. Uh, so, you know, we as taxpayers, we're dumping a lot of money into these programs and we're really not seeing a lot of result. And it, 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 a lot of people are questioning it because if you look at census data and you look at everything like that, you know, our, our population has been pretty much flatlined and we seem to be building new houses every single year, as though, although not as high as rate as it was before the uh, 2008 uh, crash and everything like that. Uh, and people are just wondering, you know, where are all these uh, housing units going and, and why aren't we solving the problem? Is it because of, uh, you know, the influx in immigration? Is it an in, uh, influx in uh, population? Or is it just, uh, you know, are these housing uh, units just not materializing? But that, that baffles me because Rhode Island's, you look at the census data over the last 50, 70 years, Rhode Island's a million people. I mean, yeah. it'd be 50,000 50, more, 50,000 less. It's not like we're having a huge influx in population. But people live differently. Before, you might have five people in the same household, you know, with grandma as well as grandchildren and everything else. But now you have people that are having their own personal uh, houses. So you have different household formations happening. So that's really, I think, something that's driving it. The fact that we're not living the same way we did 50 years ago with 10 people in the same family living in one house. Well, to that point, you have a situation where instead of having multiple, multiple generations living in the same house, you now have a lot more divorced families where uh, not only uh, does the parent have to have enough room for their kids, but now their divorced spouse has to have the, enough room for those kids as well. So you have two individuals that would naturally be living together uh, beforehand now living in two separate houses that both need to have room for the children. Uh, as you see, an increase in people and uh, kids uh, being wards of the state and going through that and dealing with the uh, the, the problems like that. Uh, I, I know situations where families uh, who have taken in foster kids and everything like that needed to have more room based, based on state regulations on living conditions and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, it, the more and more the state gets involved in these types of issues, the more and more it's going to make it less, of, uh, less housing stock available for uh, Rhode Islanders in general, I would say. I also think we need to consider what I think I believe RIPEC brought uh, brought up about land use and being strategic about where are these housing developments going and working with the municipalities um, to make it easier for these families to get to grocery stores to work. Um, et cetera. It's not a new issue at URI, but it, 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 because so many kids live off campus and they're down at Bonnet and they're in other places in South Kingstown. But I thought I found it interesting that Johnson and Wales is going to require their students three years on campus. Now I'm not sure that would work with every campus, but it's just it's an effort to free up more housing that maybe students are taking, right? Right. I mean, housing is an issue in Narragansett, South Kingstown, um, on uh, the campus of URI. There's there's grad students that are struggling to find. Housing housing, so that is definitely an issue. We're dead last in housing production in the country, okay? Mm -hmm. Dead last, not 49th, we're 50th, and we've been that for decades, okay? So housing production is needed. I think we need 24,000 units to be, uh, so, so that we won't be in, in a so-called crisis. 24,000, 
Okay, there's hundred million dollar bonds. They're talking about hundreds of units, hundreds. But I mean, you can't just snap your fingers and spend two hundred fifty million dollars. That's, that's a, right. That's a that, years that long process. That takes time. It maybe it, it, it takes time, but it has to be done because if you don't do it, then you don't have anything, and the problem gets exacerbated. So I mean, these hustle formations. Uh, I agree with you in terms of that, as well as what I said about people living in the same house. We have to create units. If we don't, then you know the speculation in terms of from Connecticut and Massachusetts, people coming down here because the housing is relatively cheaper, is just going to drive up the prices. I read something just the other day, I think it was last night, that Providence is going to be one of the five hottest housing markets for 2024. Five hottest housing markets in the country. Mm. So that's, the, all that does is put pressure on the on the values. But the demographic of people who are moving into Providence are tend, from Boston. Are from Boston. <laughs> and New York. Or, or there are also higher income uh, people who are getting either retired or on the verge of retirement. And it's not necessarily right. the type of people we're looking in. The, the governor is calling on uh, helping us keep the, the younger people and stopping the brain drain in our state. Uh, we want the young people to be able to afford to live here and, and raise a family here. Bill, exactly. Billy, I do want to talk about the budget in a second, but let's talk about education. You know, Apparently, uh, Massachusetts is always the gold standard, and we're trying to be like Massachusetts. Did you hear anything from the governor that, look, you guys have kids in school right now, and so that's something you're you're uh, focused on. What did you think about what he said? You know, I, I, the education in Rhode Island is, is a mess entirely. Um, you know, I... I it, certain things of the of his budget proposal, and it's been talked a lot about in uh, various articles, is uh, a lot of it is the reimbursement that they're doing for students uh, after they leave school for whatever reason, if they go to a charter school or if they move uh, to basically backfill uh, that transition support. Uh, you, you think about how much money the state is paying basically for kids not to go to school uh, and to maintain these school programs. We've just voted uh, millions of dollars of school bonding uh, in the last uh, special election to rebuild all these schools uh, and to invest all this amount in funding, but we see enrollments consistently declining in our state. Uh, and it just makes me wonder, why are we investing all this money? Uh, it's similar to what's going on with RIPTA, where ride ridership is uh, falling precipitously, but we're still dumping tons and tons of money into it. But uh, that's going to change because the, the, they're paying for empty seats now, but the, the word has gone out, we're not going to do that. Well, so potential layoffs, potential restructuring of, of school funding formula. Well, exactly. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to create all sorts of problems with the the teachers unions and everything like that. Um, I, again, I, I, I don't see a lot of uh, beyond his Learn 65 program, which is essentially an unfunded mandate that he's gotten the, the cities and towns to, to go on, I didn't see a lot of, uh, you know, anything, again, like I said, major proposals or major uh, initiatives by the governors, a lot of little things nibbling around the edges uh, to kind of, you know, to, to fill out his own individual policy, I guess. I guess I was, I was looking for maybe more examples of how the Learn 365 program is working and maybe highlighting some of those where he didn't necessarily, he mentioned it, but didn't, didn't necessarily get into it. Do they have that it. in your community? Has it made it down to South um, County? So South, South Kingstown has a program. Yeah. Um, and um, so you have the, that's, that's where I would have liked to, to seen him talk about that and maybe connect it to some of the examples of, you know, increasing attendance and how that has worked. Um, student coaching, aren't the teachers the coaches <laughs> in the classroom? Um, so I, I'd like to hear more about that. I know that I've um, talked to teachers, administration, and They've said they they need school psychologists. Is that a is that a coach? Is that what he's looking for? Um, so more social workers. Um, the commissioner mentioned how they're they're concerned about uh, uh, she's concerned about 
with increasing the number of preschool students, well, where are the teachers coming from, right? And um, we have a teacher shortage mm -hmm. that we had a Rhode Island survey initiative, and that was the number one problem that Rhode Island residents noticed uh, was an issue for, for Rhode Island schools. Uh, I didn't see a, a way in which he's going to address that. And we don't have enough doctors. We don't have enough anything <laughs> at this point. Jim, what were you going to say? You know, I, was, I was going to say, in terms of teacher shortage, I told the governor, look, I'll go with him to HBCUs, historically black college universities. We'll recruit some teachers and bring them back here to Rhode Island. I'll, I'll be glad to do that. But also, I just think that, you know, you got to invest in education as much as possible. So, I mean, $48 million from what I can see here. Uh, may not seem like a lot to some people, but it's going to make a difference. We've got to invest in English language learners. We have no choice. So if, to go from 16 million to 36 million, I mean, that's, that's real dollars. And uh, 6.9 million for the preschool pre-K expansion, I think that that's dollars well spent. Uh, and we'll get the teachers. Uh, on Thursday, the governor released uh -huh. his budget. It is now going to be 13.7 billion, just a slight reduction because we're losing some of the federal aid, the ARPA money. On Tuesday night, the House Minority Leader, Mike Chippendale, who was a guest here last week, week for the legislative leader show he started out his address the kind of the rebuttal to governor uh mckee's address talking specifically about the budget here's some of what he had to say the state of rhode island stands at a delicate juncture in our history we face many challenges as we move forward last year's budget was 14 billion dollars and based on the annual budget growth prior to covid we should be at around 11.5 billion dollars this year we must hold the line and we must be looking for places to cut spending. Rhode Island's healthcare system is sadly collapsing. We're hemorrhaging practitioners of every discipline from specialists to support positions. Republicans call for a long overdue adjustment to our Medicaid reimbursement rate to keep pace with our neighboring states. Some of our other solutions include the Community-Based Healthcare Act, which will help to retain medical graduates in Rhode Island, and we also want to reinstitute access to telemedicine across state lines. You've heard Republicans speak of instituting an Office of Inspector General in Rhode Island, just like the majority of U.S. states have already done. This alone is an initiative that can save Rhode Island taxpayers billions of dollars. Rhode Island truly is one of the most special places in the world. And as the smallest state, we possess the agility to excel beyond all expectations. It's time to dream bigger and execute smarter. Okay, so the inspector general is something that, I mean, I've done stories on this for years. It, they have no appetite. We talked to the House Majority Leader last week, didn't think it was necessary. What about an inspector general? Well, I mean, um, there's been some pushback on that, as you know. Uh, they say we have an attorney general, we have this person. Auditor general, we too. We have an auditor general, we have this. And, and they, they, they say, I guess, that it would be redundant. I'm not sure if it would be or not. Um, I don't really have enough uh, information in terms of what's really going on with uh, that, those discussions in terms of what the Inspector General actually would be doing. So I really don't have a, a definitive opinion Is on it, it as simple as they don't want us to peek, get the camel nose under the tent <laughs> to see what's going on and maybe root out some of the, the pet projects? I mean, that's the, the kind leadership. of... The uh, leadership. That's the, the feeling, I guess. But uh, again, I, I think uh, uh, more important than an inspector general would be a, a functioning you know, second party in the state to hold some accountability to the leadership. Well, um, that's a large, <laughs> that's a pretty hefty uh, pull there. But I, I mean, I, I, again, that's, that's kind of the thing is that, you know, as a libertarian, I have no interest or no appetite in expanding the government and expanding it and adding another department uh, but you know there is some you know some merit to the idea that you have uh, somebody keeping an eye on the, the the checkbook and making sure things are are going the way that they are expected to I mean that's 
Right, so um, we look at other states, at least 36 states have an inspector general and uh, many states, the larger states have them within each of the departments. Um, we have Massachusetts, Connecticut having inspector generals in, in different capacities of, of what they're doing. I believe Connecticut is more focused on Department of Corrections versus Massachusetts is looking at waste at the state and local levels. So um, if we're looking at comparing other states, they have this inspector general. Um, we look at the, the low levels of trust in the state that maybe this would increase your your feelings of trusting the the government in in each of the different branches um and levels of corruption was another you know survey question from the rhode island survey initiative uh, so um, maybe this would increase transparency and that seems to be something that uh could be a bipartisan uh, program, right, a bipartisan push to have an inspector general. It just seems like the leadership is always looking for more revenue. <laughs> you know, it's not, oh, we're going to cut programs, it's more revenue, and this might be able to to do it. I was thinking, as you were saying, the plural, we may have to come up with a new term, inspectors general, like <laughs> attorneys general. Um, Law Enforcement Officer Bill of Rights. Yes. Um, we've heard from the leadership. Everybody seems to be on board to want to get it done and want to get it done quickly. You were on that commission. Uh, I was on the commission. You were on the commission two years ago. We thought we were going to be over the finish line. Are you hearing at all any movement early in the session, or do you think this is going to be one of those things? It got, it got, it didn't make it through last year because they just ran out of time. Okay, two things. One, I was on the commission, uh, the Senate commission, and two, you know, everybody knows I'm for the full repeal of Leobor, like they have in 37 other states. But you're not holding your breath. But I'm not holding my breath because you know it, it doesn't necessarily have to make sense to me uh, for something to be compromised out and have some kind of reform that probably is not going to do anything you know, other than make people happy. Uh, however, I did run into the speaker yesterday, and he said, I'd like to see you to see the, uh, the, the, the House version. I think uh, you'd like that a lot more, and I think the advocates would like that a lot more uh, as well uh, than, than, than previous. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. Uh, I think it is going to happen from what I'm hearing. Something's going to happen. Uh, whether or not, uh, you know, the advocates will like it, I doubt it. Uh, whatever comes out, uh, but something will happen to be better than nothing. Great. Is there anything else in the budget that mm -hmm. stood out to you or e either of you um, or stuff that you'd like to keep an eye on as the, as the session unfolds? Well, it was interesting to me about, again, the, he talked about raising the uh, per capita income by $20,000, which, uh, I mean, it's... And where did that figure come from? Did well, it just... well, it's, it's uh, Gary Sass and Ted Nisi were going back and forth a little bit about this on uh, Twitter after uh, he made the, the comment. But, you know, if you look historically, the last five or six years, we've grown per capita income by about 15 uh, uh, you know, 15, uh, where is it? I'm sorry. And so uh, the idea of going up to $20,000 uh, in the next uh, five or six years is not uh, that big of a, of a stretch, in my opinion. And uh, in terms of the budget projections and the, uh, the revenue projections, uh, they better hope that they reach that goal or else they're going to have a revenue shortfall and a budget uh, uh, deficit. So it's something that, uh, you know, I don't think it's necessarily, again, a bold uh, ask to, to hit that $20,000 mark. It's something that we're kind of going that trend anyway. Uh, and it's like saying, you know, I'm going to make a few free throws in my basketball game. It's not really going for the double-double or the triple-triple. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anything else you're taking a look at in the budget? Um, I think that uh, it's important that McKee is proposing more funding to increase minority and women own businesses to, um, to, to be a key player in the state. Great. 
Let's go to outrages and or kudos. Mr. Vincent, what do you have this week? Well, drum roll, please. Surprise, surprise. I have a kudo. Oh, my goodness. Go ahead. <laughs> I surprised you. Melissa DeBose, District Court Judge uh, Melissa DeBose. Uh, several months ago, she came to me and said, Jim, I'd like you to be a reference because I'd like to put my name in to be a U.S. Uh, District uh, Court Judge. We have three here in Rhode Island. And I said, sure. You know, and I'll also uh, talk to Senators Whitehouse and Senators uh, and Senator Reid uh, on your behalf as well. Uh, and of course, something like this is always like a long shot because you got so many people that are qualified. Well, guess what? They both agreed that she was the best qualified candidate. They have recommended her to President Biden, who will have to go before the U.S. Senate, or her name. And it's a great story. She grew up in Mount Hope, uh, Central High School graduate, uh, came out, started teaching at Central High School, going to Roger Williams Law School at night, then worked, uh, you know, uh, for the uh, assistant, as an assistant attorney general, became a district court judge. Uh, you know, she came to be at that time, and I said, sure, let's try to get that. And now she's going to be the first black U.S. district court judge, I feel, in Rhode Island history, making history once again. Did you put her over thing. the finish line, Jim? No, not me. Yeah. It was, it was no, her, her record is impressive. Senator Reid and Senator Whitehouse said that she had the best record. I mean, it's kind of amazing in 2024 now mm -hmm. we're talking about the first on the federal Absolutely. court. Billy, what do you have? Well, uh, yeah, I, I promised my uh, my mom I'd bring this up. It's you know after uh, another year, uh, another budget year, and all the uh, the promises made in the state of uh, the state address. Uh, state retirees are not going to be, uh, or seemingly not going to be, seeing an increase in their colas, cost of living adjustments. Uh, they've kind of kicked the can over to James Yosa to come up with a plan, our state treasurer. Uh, but realistically, uh, you know, it's been since what 2016 where they've uh, where Gina passed the legislation, and it's something that with the increased amount of inflation. Uh, that we've been seeing as due to Bidenomics and everything like that, uh, and uh, two uh, budget years with extraordinarily large amounts of federal stimulus money, it seems like we could have done something to help fully fund their pension uh, and help them with the cost of living adjustments. It seems like they're just playing the waiting game uh, for the retirees to unfortunately pass on and it not to be a problem anymore. Do you not anything? Do you not confident anything is going to happen? This I, I don't think spring? anything's. I mean, they've been talking about this. Uh, it, when once the, everything gets 80 percent funded, they'll start in, uh, reinstituting the colas. But that's like 20. 31. It's, yeah. You actually have to fund the pension for it to do it. And the retirees, they put their money in while they were working. It's not like they didn't contribute. Uh, it's, it's, this is a, solely a problem of the government. It's something that they need to address and to, to fix because there's a lot of people that are depending on that money. A lot of them, with, uh, with, uh, they didn't collect Social Security uh, as part of their, their deal. Uh, I think there's 18 or 19 uh, school districts in the, uh, the state that uh, aren't eligible for Social Security and they're counting on these cost of living adjustments. And it's really something that the, the state needs to, to address. Professor? So it's more of a concern about flooding in the state. And um, over the past couple of weeks, we've seen flooding. I, my, personally, uh, my, my children's schools were closed. They've had delays. Um, we can see businesses were, were closed due to flooding. Um, we can see like um, concerns of, of tourism. You look in um, at Westerly and you see the sand dunes that are, are, um, are all over the place on the, the roads everywhere. So we have this concern about flood mitigation that I was surprised that you know wasn't addressed in um, the state of state like mentioned at all um, in the in the speech but um, that's that's something that I think our our state leaders and I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing like what they're going to do uh, to, to for for flood mitigation 
Quickly, uh, we just have about a minute, minute and a half left. Same day voter registration is something that the the um, Secretary of State is pushing. John uh, Marion from Common Cause. I know we could have a whole do a whole show about elections, and we might do that at some point. In general, your thoughts about same day voter registration? I support same day voter registration to allow any um, any individuals the opportunity to express their views um, is a good thing and we see other states that are doing it as well so we wouldn't be the first totally in support of it 22 other states in the, in the district of columbia have it it has proven to, to increase black voter turnout uh latino voter turnout as well as young people voter turnout it's a great thing and it should pass last 30 seconds i'm not against it uh, per se but again my, my whole thing is we're making it a lot easier for anybody who wants to vote we're making it very difficult for the choices they have to actually vote for uh, my priority would be more towards allowing more different uh, points of view to be available on the ballot so that people who register the same day to vote can actually vote for a candidate that represents their beliefs. You get going on that. <laughs> I'm working on it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> Folks, thank you for your time. Jim, good to see you. Emily and Billy, we're still saying Happy New Year through June, January. Um, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Come back next week. Uh, we've got a lot going on up at the General Assembly. We'll have it all covered here with all the breakdown and analysis. We hope you have a good weekend. Join us back here as a lively experiment continues. experiment is generously underwritten by hi I'm John Hazen White jr. for over 30 years a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS